Auckland architect, artist, and teacher. Malcolm. Malcolm. Kia ora and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is episode 28 and today we're talking to Matt Liggins, Auckland architect, artist and teacher. Matt, welcome to the podcast, thanks for coming in. Great, thanks for inviting me. Cool, cool. Um, we just missed a killer story about how you got kicked out of shadows, which we'll just have to wait for the B-roll another day. <laughs> but um, Matt, why don't you kick off with our first question and we'll kind of roll from here. Um, as good as sounded as if I haven't done any research, but um, I've done a bit. But I'm still I'm keen to hear from you. What is it that interests you? What is it that you do? Yeah. Um, okay. Good question. Um, I try to do all three um, and balance them. So um, my background is is working in architecture. I've always liked art, but I haven't really um, I can't really make a living off it. And I don't want to practice architecture all the time, so teaching is the supplement, the sort of glue that holds it together. So teaching for me is um, kind of, uh, I love it, and it pays the bills, and it takes the pressure on having to get projects in architecture mm. and make a living from art. So, yeah, teach at Auckland Uni, been there for five years, and absolutely love it. It's so great. So what is it you like so much about teaching? Um, one thing is to be around a lot of people because if you're a sole practitioner and you work at home it's so quiet mm. so I think to be around people to, to be around um, intelligent creative people that are just um, that want to be there um, like I learn from the students mm. um, and they're so nice people to be around <laughs> like practicing architects can just be so um, negative or so stressed and um, you lose your, your go and your energy but students are just so happy and such nice people to be around and you forget like you know what what it's like do you find that quite restorative or like kind of charges you up from being around that yeah I love it like yeah I, I get like I give a lot of energy to the students but also I get heaps back mm. from them mm. Like I think every everyone should teach sometime in their life. See it's see if it's for them. Yeah. Give it a shot, and if you like it, you like it, and you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing. Like um, yeah, I recommend everyone everyone should give it a go. Guest critting or whatever teacher, um, be a assistant on someone or whatever. But it's you get a lot out of it. Mm. Yeah, you learn a lot about yourself by teaching others, don't you? Yeah, yeah, because you have to. Yeah, you're really, yeah, yeah, you're saying things to students, and you're thinking, do I really feel like that, or is mm. that the right mm. thing? So yeah, you, you assess your work, and you get so many great ideas from students. Mm. So throwaway ideas can be great for you, mm. or part of their ideas, or something. But yeah, it's um, it's great, man. Mm. Talent borrows, genius steals. <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> And how does this all express itself then? You, um, what sort of art? What sort of architecture? Oh uh, yeah, so that um, so my history with architecture is I went to the school, worked for a year in, in uh, at the at Tauranga for Dennis Pocock. Um, broke up with my girlfriend, and then decided to go to London. Worked 
for three a and a half. Story as old as time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that old OE thing that we do, and I just got in. I was 27, I think, um, and then worked for a trust in London for three and a half years. So sort of an um, in-house um, trust that had uh, uh, architects, um, surveyors. We owned all the buildings, and we could. So it wasn't too stressful. So timelines and budgets were sort of set by us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I got to work in some great places around the UK, like in London, Notting Hill, Knightsbridge, Blackheath, Bath, Brighton, Newcastle. So it was a great introduction to Europe and uh, be with mates over there and work and travel, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then after being over there, I was like, shit, this isn't sustainable, the weather over there. And, <laughs> shit, you know? Yeah. I miss surfing a lot. So I was like, what do I do? I didn't want to come back here because I've already lived here. So I thought, i got a mate, Lee, who was living in Sydney. So I was like, come and call. He's like, come over, man, and let's do it. So I lived with him and did the Sydney thing. Um, worked for Renato de Torre Architects over there. Um, sort of cut my teeth yeah. and into high-end design, high-end yeah. res, you know, you've got to learn how to detail things and mm. coordinate everything. And I was there for four years and um, he was amazing. Like, he taught me everything about detailing something right. And yeah. um, so mainly concrete houses, um, yeah, first time sort of taking a full big job as a project architect, mm. learnt so much in a short amount of time. Um, and then I got to a point when I was like, holy shit, I, I, I can do this for myself now. You know, mm. you feel confident in your skills. And my friend Lee, who I was living with, goes, oh, I've just bought a section back in New Zealand. Um, yeah, do you want to do a house for me? And I was like, of course. Mm. So that's kind of kick-started my own practice mm. in architecture. Right. Yeah. And that was the return back to New Zealand again? Ah, uh, no, I still stayed there. Like, I was like, okay, so now if I got that job, if I get another job, it means that I can... Yeah, you know, I was moonlighting. I was doing the house while I was mm. working for right. him. A lot of people start their yeah, careers, yeah. right? They, they work and they do a private job. And then... So then I just got... And they get sacked by their boss, like Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can happen, right? Yeah. Um, he didn't sack me, but he did say, you don't do that house in office time. Right. But we talked about it and I showed him and said, what do you think? And he gave me ideas. Yeah, and, cool. You know, so there's a bit of... There's always a bit of Renato in me. Uh-huh. Because, you know, when you work for someone, mm. you, you, you see how they detail and mm. use steel and use glass. And so I got to work on some amazing projects with him. Um, two houses in Hamilton Island, Solus and Azuris. Um, I worked on a place in New York, uh, a little island called Ferrier Island, did a little tropical beach house, uh, Link House um, uh, in Sydney. But, yeah, his own apartment and his, yeah, just so many great projects. Mm. Uh, around everywhere. It's a lot. It sounds like a lot in four years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was. Like, it was a small firm. When I started, it was me, um, Renato, and uh, Christina. So there's only four of us, and mm. his wife's the interior designer. Mm. And then the GFC hit, and um, and it, for a year, it was just me and Renato. Mm. So got to learn heaps, you know, mm. one-on-one, and yeah, all yeah, the yeah. chats you have about yeah. architecture. So he worked for Harry Seidler. Right. And he just recently won the Wilkinson Award for the top house right. in New right. South Wales. So. Right. It's always quite interesting looking at that kind of architectural pedigree about where somebody learned from and sort of how those influences and learnings get passed down yeah. in a way. I mean, you can kind of say that you're 
on the hair. Through that line, line. Yeah. Hey, through Renato, through yeah. Harry Renato, yeah. and then yeah. So it's amazing the lineage that people come through, and and really. it comes through in their work, Definitely. thinking yeah. and style. Yeah. yeah, you know the way you bring things together, the totally. way you, the, what you select and what you choose. Yeah, um, and then like the sort of the third leg of the tripod in art. Yeah, and is that something that you've always kind of done? Yeah, yeah. Art is definitely something I've always been interested in, and I, I guess, um, uh, did art at school. Loved that was basically painting, mm. and then in Sydney, I had. Uh, so when I when I went were working for myself in Sydney, I had all the spare time. And when so I I did a lot of paintings in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Had a show, um, and then after that I got another show, and that was just paintings mm. and a few sculptures. But then since being back in um, New Zealand, um, I had the opportunity to do a piece for Art Week um, through um, Deborah White. White Space, who started mm. Art Week and the Art Fair. And I know I'm friends with um, her daughter, Ness. And anyway, she, she knew about my work and she goes, well, do you want to do a piece and get the students to do some pieces for Art Week? So that was when the Pyramid Schema project turned up. And how long ago was that? 2016, so three right. years ago. Yeah. Did the Pyramid. And that project came from just random drawings that you do. Yeah. And it evolved um, into a built structure and that might have came through from teaching this um, uh, uh, project at university with fresh is making a little recycled playhouse if you look at the genealogy of mm. that with these drawings then it, I thought well why don't I just build a pyramid and sit in it and cheer people up then so for those so <laughs> we'll, 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 um, we'll put some we'll, I loved it by the way I put a smile on my face <laughs> For those like listening at home, and we'll put some images up on our Instagram if we set up Instagram. <laughs> or our yes, let's do it. We're doing it. Um, do you want to just describe kind of what that what that installation was, and what that piece was, and what it did, and, mm. and, and how people kind of interacted with it? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so the whole idea was that um, just how people are struggling everywhere now, but in New Zealand, um, cost of living is is high, and wages haven't gone up like that, um, especially renting. Um, food, petrol, you name it, mm. um, and so people are just um, they're more stressed and they're working really hard just to make ends meet. And I thought, you know, that's the pyramid, the the bottom of the pyramid, top of the pyramid. You know, everyone's making more money and all that. So that's where the pyramid shape came in. And I thought, well, what can I do about it? How can I change things? And you can't really change capitalism or the way things work. And I thought, well, if I, at least I can cheer people up. People in the city working really hard. At least I can do this random act of kindness, sort of well-being um, gesture by um, having a random conversation with someone outside the pyramid, asking them what makes them happy in life, which you forget sometimes mm. when you're under the pump. You know, most things were like family, kids, food. so I drew a lot of animals drew a lot of food and faces of family members Mm. and and basically um, got some scissors cut it round to be a thought bubble because it's things Uh you think don't say and passed them out and and that was it that was the pyramid so you you sat in this pyramid on high street Mm. right Mm. and people would queue up Mm. and when they got their turn you would you would start the conversation? Yeah, straight away. The, the, so like, 
you just say what makes you happy in life. Yeah. And then on the spot, um, if there if there was like not a big cure, you could have a longer conversation mm. and think yeah. about what you're doing. But um, yeah, just that conversation, drawing and thinking, and then and then give it to them, and they can put it on their fridge or rubbish bin or mm. wherever, they, wherever yeah. they want to do with it. But yeah, it was a it was a um, fun project to do, and yeah. Do you think you learned something about people? Because you kind of conducted a a, a, a a kind of study on a reasonable sample size, asking the same question. Like, yeah. were there patterns and trends and surprises? And uh, no, like um, I guess the main things is the basic. The people love the basic things in life. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing materialistic, yeah. you know, like my I BMW. Love my yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there was a, one girl who just broke up with a guy and was devastated and wanted something to cheer her up. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like, people open up to you when they can't see you. Yeah. It's like when you get in a, in a taxi and you're only in there for five minutes because you're not going to get out, you might open up to the taxi driver yeah, more yeah. than someone you're stuck in a room with. Yeah. So yeah, I guess, yeah, it's really interesting to see how people um, relate to someone that they can't see, like yeah. a confession box. Or, yeah. yeah. You know. It's a lot like a confession <laughs> box, actually. Like the little gap yeah, to let sound totally. go through but yeah. not much else, eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, in public, yours. Yeah. In the high street, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But there's a false sense of privacy, almost, eh? Yeah, so they couldn't see me. I could see them through the eyes. So it was designed to, to be that way. Um, but, yeah, that was a good project. Like, it was fun. And, um, yeah, that kick-started a few other projects, all, you know, in the same sort of vein yeah. or family. So... It'd be good to hear about some of those other projects, but what I'd be kind of really interested in hearing from you now is this idea of these like three legs of a table, right? And we've talked about like your architectural practice, teaching and art. I'm quite interested in um, almost like the Venn, like how they then overlap mm. and what they give to one another and how they influence mm. one another. Mm. Because um, my sense, my sense of it, the way you've always talked about these things is that they are very much intermeshed. You know, they're not separate things where you put one thing down and go, now it's time to do that. No. So the way they overlap and, and infect one another and, yeah. and inspire one another, I'd be interested to hear, you know, oh, yeah. your kind of view on that or what you, you know, if that's if that's even an accurate description. Oh, they, well, they do um, at different scales. Um, I think the key thing for me has been drawing mm. and just sketching out thoughts um, and slow cooking them. Like, because um, you're not forcing a project, or have, you know, when you've got a brief or you've got a project, and you sit down to do it, and if you're not in the mood, you know. But these things come at different times, and my way of working has has been I've, I've developed a way to work, and it's um, just A4 sketchbook and draw, and then file away. Mm. My house is a mess. My girlfriend will say, "Fuck me!" And the studio is just like. We clean your papers, you know what I mean? File them away. So they go on the bed and I can look at them when they're on the bed so I can immediately see them. Yeah. They're the ones I'm working on at the moment and then when they're not there, they go into a shelf. But it's slow cooking ideas at any scale. Yeah. Houses, art and things like that. So yeah, they do yeah, and they do cross over like um, with, with these projects they have been growing in scale um, and to get to a point where the Vitruvian Tunnel is basically a tiny home. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. a freaky yeah. thought that yeah. some some tiny home it's not insulated mm. and it's open at both ends. Mm-hmm. But 
the, you know, everything's become so expensive now, people can only afford smaller mm. places and things like that. So yeah, the, yeah, that's the freaky thing from the Vitruvian tunnel. It's got so big that it's, you could sleep in it mm. and live in it. You know, put a, we've, we've talked about mm. where would you put the bathroom, where would you put <laughs> the kitchen, where do you put the bed, where do you put the lounge? Because, yeah, it's, it's, it's big enough to do that. And the project before that, the place of Baghouse, was just a queen-size bed. Yeah. Which sort of... At least and people you, did sleep in these, right? Uh, I, I did. Right. And then it's been at my friend's flat in uh, Hoon Bay, uh-huh. and they've been sleep- people have been sleeping in, it, in there. Um, but yeah, the night of Art Week, uh, two years ago, I slept in it um, down in the viaduct, and then it was there for a month. You just sort of left it there for the month, for people to do as they will with uh, it. To a degree. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, active vandalism, or using it and shutting the door. Yeah. Like there were a couple of times when that happened. I wasn't there, yeah. I was, you know. But um, yeah, it's got a flip-up door, so it was. I'd come and open it some mornings and leave it there and come home and close it and things mm. like that. So it's just a bed there in the middle of the viaduct. Um, but yeah, I'm sure people had fun and one person got drunk and jumped on the roof and put a foot through the roof and as you do, <laughs> that's life. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And. Uh, what, how does that all cross-pollinate to your architecture as well? How does that affect uh, oh, the business you design? Oh, I don't know. Like, I guess um, it, it, how does it, I don't know. Like, um, it, 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 they're all one for me. I don't, yeah, mm-hmm. see them as separate. Um, so, phew, if I design a house, would I design something like a bigger Vitruvian tunnel? Who knows? But you've got constraints with architecture, right? Yeah. There's so many constraints. And as, as you know, mm. there's more and more constraints every day mm. from council and, and that. Like when I did my first house for Lee, that was when Leaky Homes kicked in and you had to be registered architect or yeah. LBP before 2011, March or whatever it was. So I remember having RFIs from council and having to get those in because I'm not any of those. And then we got the house approved. But I know what it's like um, since then like just how gnarly it is to work yeah. as an architect these days to um, get what you want done, keep everyone happy, and to still love your job at the end yeah. of the day that you're going, fuck me. Um, you know, where's that sense of happiness or enlightenment yeah. through working that yeah. you used to get? Mm. You know, um, I think David Mitchell said that back in the day, a set of plans was for four yeah. 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 And, you know, how many is it now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Hundreds oh, for a house, yeah, eh, it's even. Nuts. Because yeah. a lot of your art or a lot of the drawings that I've sort of seen actually comment on this as well, you know. <laughs> There's often kind of architecture in a box over here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Rest of the world enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Building code. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that little diagram yeah. that I did that time. Yeah, I, I, I guess one one thing is, you know, being able to comment and, and, and put stuff out, your frustrations with the profession. Um, as as something um, that one yeah. yeah there's a diagram there's a thing that Matt like Matt spoke at Warren Amani a few weeks ago and I'll post this diagram which is this complicated sort of thing of like earth at the bottom and I am an architect and as it goes up it's like I am God and then there's E2 and H1 and the building code and heaven <laughs> and then on the way it's down it's like you know, yeah. you know fighting against that this idea I want to be an artist and struggle mm. and then ending in hell <laughs> in the centre of earth and I think I mean is it would it be fair to say that you think that these constraints hamper and prevent 
the artistic elements of art or the expression oh, or the fun or the joy of it. A hundred percent these yeah. days. And so, you know, even practicing in Australia, how easy it is to get a DA and CC through, which mm-hmm. is our, which is New Zealand. Like a resource, resource consent, consent and yeah. building consent. Yeah. And, I, and I've talked to my other architects like Chris Tate and then Gary Lawson, how easy it is to get work yeah. through in Australia because of um, the system, yeah. having private certifiers that basically will take the risk. And you don't have to give them, you know, spoon feed them, you know, um, details. They already, you know, basic yeah. details that you shouldn't have to do. Yeah. Because you know, you know what you're doing, or you've done it so many times, yes. and it, you know. So maybe things need to change here. They've gone too far that way. Yeah. They can go back the other way, and things are a bit easier for us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know. What do, our, what do our what do our other architects think of that? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I, I look at some of the RFIs we get sometimes and, you know, it's just like, really? You know, really you're asking for, I can't think of an example, um, but some of them are, some of the questions are so obtuse, it's just ridiculous. And then on the other hand, you should sort of look at it and go, well, we probably need to be building our buildings better than what we're used to as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. So where's the middle ground? Because also, you know, I had just read the other day that the whole independent certification system in Australia has got some issues with it as well. I don't know what the perfect system is, yeah. mm. but it does seem that we're reaching this point where there's going to be some kind of fallout because there's... The demands from, say, building certification from clients, building costs, you know, where does creativity yeah. fit in there and, and finding some, you know, really remarkable solutions. It's becoming more and more difficult to do that. I saw this great, this is great pie chart I stole off some blog and it's got this teeny, teeny, tiny, like, sliver that says, that'd be like half a degree, and it says design, and the rest, the rest is labelled door schedules. <laughs> and, you know, like, I think every architect kind of relates to that. Mm. Um, do you think it's, do you think it's important, architect, if they aren't finding that in their practice, do you think it's an important um, ember to keep burning? 100%, man. I had to do it. I, I had to do it, mm. like I had to do something else, right? Because mm. I know I knew I, could, well, I've done it for ten years to sit in an office and do CAD all day. Mm. And then, um, I knew I needed more myself, mm. and I know you have a band and, mm. and and you do the podcast and every, you know other people do other things, but just like if you could balance them all a bit better, so you weren't completely exhausted when you were doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. Enjoy like in doing art, yeah. and you're yeah. doing it. You know, um, there were some key moments that kicked this off for me. One was, um, it's a little bit of a story. Can I say it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I was working with Renato for a couple years and I came home. My sister bought me Brett Whiteley's book, Art and Life. Mm. I remember reading the intro and... um, and it said the intro was by Michael Johnson, who, who was Brett Whiteley's best friend. So I went back to uh, Sydney, I think I was with Renata for two years, and then I smelt this oil paint coming down the corridor, and then I saw Johnson on the door, and I thought, holy shit. And this old guy came towards me, and I said, hey, you're not Michael Johnson, are you? And he goes, yeah, what do you want? I said, oh, shit, um, I just read your intro on Brett's, and I love his work, and, and all that. And anyway, we became friends. Mm. And I ended up, because he's 70 odd, I ended up getting him coffees and ciggies and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Down, downstairs and all that. And anyway, so I can bring him back a coffee in my lunch break. Yeah. And he said, come in and shut the door, smoking in there with yeah. the fan on and all that <laughs> shit. 
And so, so yeah, Michael Johnson, if you don't know, is a colour field painter. Right. He lived in New York and London and best friends with Brett Whiteley and David Hockney and all that scene, right. you know? Mm. Anyway, so we became good friends and then I'd be in there and then go back into an office, which was very stressful. Mm. And, that, and I thought, wow, there's a balance in between. Yeah. And Renato always, he makes art, he's an artist himself, but he always thought about being an artist. And I thought, well, why don't I just give it a shot mm. and give it a go, right? Yeah. What's the worst thing that can happen? But then, yeah, so with Michael, we became good friends. I ended up, he goes, oh, I've just bought this new terrace house in, um, in Paddington. Do you want to design the kitchen? And he's best friends with um, Philip Cox. So I got to meet Philip and hang out and redesign the kitchen together. And then he wanted a studio out the back. And, yeah, it was just a really cool yeah. Um, friendship. Yeah, right. Uh, that came with an artist. And I thought, shit, he's, he's doing it. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a great story. Yeah. Do you find that you, um, like I know you do a lot of drawings and, and so on, and that's perhaps, am I right in saying, a more immediate outlet? Yes. Do you find that um, you have to kind of make um, chunks of time where you can actually um, work in other mediums as well? Because there's a kind of expediency about drawing, right? Yeah. Or do you not get the opportunity to paint so much anymore? How yeah. Working? Uh, yeah, so the painting thing has not been happening lately because mm. um, 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 of the, well, the Vitruvian Tunnel. And, yeah. and then this, we were, luckily, I was on the study tour again to go take students to Europe and teaching. But in my breaks, um, I've actually started painting a little bit again, mm. which has been great to get back onto that. But the latest project is this Meccano skyscraper model mm. I've been working on. So, like, yeah, my spare time, I've been <laughs> building bits of this <laughs> ego tower <laughs> um, uh, for Art Week in October. Right. And so, anyway, um, but... Um, I am going back to Parami to see my family. We're on, you know, uni holidays. Uh-huh. Crits tomorrow for D6, and then I'm going home to hang out with yeah. family. And my dad's been painting lately, so is that I, new for him? Kind of. Like he did, he's done a bit of painting in there, in life drawing, and done mm. some sculpture stuff, moldy um, art for a year. Um, but yes, yeah, so I decided when I go home, um, we're just going to hang out and paint a bit. Mm. And it'd be good to do it again, you know what I mean? Mm. But I haven't been doing. I did a lot in Sydney, and then and then that's about it. Mm. Can you um, can you tell us about the ego tower? Yeah. So this is called the skyscraper I could never build. So it's like, uh, I obviously as an architect, only so many people get to design a skyscraper in their yeah. life, and I thought, well, I'll probably never get that chance. But I can do a model of one. <laughs> um, and then I think that, so I've always been sketching it. And then when we went on the study tour, we went back through Dubai, uh-huh. went up the Burj Khalifa, and oh man, that's a sign that I should finish this thing or start it actually. So yeah, got heaps of Meccano from my dad, started building this tower. Um, and the, and it's going to have ego on top. Like, how do you finish a skyscraper? <laughs> the word ego. <laughs> uh, E-G-O in, in, in capitals. That's the big ego. Yeah. And underneath, in lowercase, it'll have small ego in 3D printed hot, hot pink. <laughs> it'll have a fucking long lift going up and down it. Uh, it's going to have an exit through the gift shop where you can buy a little sculpture 3D printed. Um... And yeah, just a kind, and a probably, and it will have a um, a pink and a diced aluminium scale rule mm-hmm. to say that it's the biggest. So. But <laughs> 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 Looking forward to it. Yeah, where's it going to be? So, uh, 
you're going to write biggest and then like make sure it's bigger. Than so it. <laughs> like Trump, the best, the best, yeah, the yeah, biggest, yeah. the best. So yeah, it's going to be uh, well. So it's going to be only one night um, exhibition for late night art mm-hmm. for Art Week um, in Frobig Place. It'll be outdoors. It'll be in yeah. the square. Yeah, yeah, in the, yep. in the front of the place. It might need to be, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it needs to be outdoors. We might get a good shot with the sky tower behind it. Yeah, yeah. on Metropolis. On Metropolis. Metropolis, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so um, that's Tuesday, the 15th of October, 5 till 9. Nice. Is it one? It's only one night? Yeah, just one night, and then it'll go back home. Um, I've designed it so it's just under 2.7, so it fits in the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> To you. Or anyone else's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's not, I don't really want to sell so it. So pragmatic. I didn't see yeah. you. I thought you'd, you know, took 750 just so it has to lean over a bit or something. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> It's not finished yet. I've actually ran out of, like, long flat bar. Oh. Um, oh, it's always what you run out of in Lego and, <laughs> and Meccano A. It's always the really long, the yeah. long flat one. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you do these things in part because they make you feel good. Mm. Like you enjoy doing them. Mm. But um, you're trying to say some things, right? Like I've heard you speak about homelessness and I've heard you speak about social obligations that architects have and, and actually us falling short in meeting those obligations sometimes. Um, is that part of, you know, is this project one of those examples? Are there other projects that, you know, turn that up a little more or less? Yeah. or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this is the first sort of critique about architects, this one. Um, few, yeah, I always try to have meaning in the work that's not overly literal, mm. you know, but connects to people, right? That's how um, I think good art works. Um, so future projects, yeah. Um, uh, our, our oil has always been an issue, and our dependence on oil... Yeah. Has always been huge, and I actually did a. Uh, I applied to the sculptures in Bondi with a flying plane with um, some oil tray in it and, and mirrors and lights. They didn't want it. Didn't get approved. Well, it was only a shitty sketch. Anyway, a shitty sketch and a failed idea can be the next project. Yeah, yeah. The next project I've been really wanting to do is a large, a large um, hemisphere. So the so, so I what's think, large. So it's. 2.7. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all relative, isn't it? Um, but um, so this one is sort of, I think, from the Vitruvian Tunnel, looking at um, body proportions and the average Kiwi guy height mm-hmm. that it was scaled to for the square, 1.77. Um, it's made me think about um, dimensions mm-hmm. in that. And then I looked at the radius of the Earth, and it's 6,731 kilometres in radius. I thought right. that'd be easily scaled down to six point seven three one meters. Yep. So yep. yeah, so yep. basically yep. two stories yep. high. Yeah. And then you could be inside the earth, you could put the tray of oil on the ground, you could light it so it bends right round as a sphere, and you could walk on the oil with some black basalt stepping stones to recreate the planets. You could feel like you're in the middle of the earth. In actual oil? Definitely. I can really imagine the smell too, right? Mm. Maybe yeah, you might have to have a mask. You could go in and you could grab a mask or something. Or some Vicks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so when's that? When's oh, that I, just, no, I just need someone well, who's keen to... Oh, how do you fund these projects, right? Yeah. So luckily, Bright Nights, I got 
some money to do half of it. Yep. And then found, you know, still paying off the other half, but it has been going out and getting back, coming back, you know, you're making money from mm. installations. Um, but this one is so big, and I don't even know how much it cost to build yeah. a 6.7 mm. metre um, uh, hemisphere. Yeah. But anyway, it's... We could, know, get a QA, we could get a QS to tell us. <laughs> 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 You're telling us about your experiences in building geodesic domes, so, you know, you should be... Able to <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halfway there. So this one wouldn't be geodesic, it would be ribbed with a ring beam, two ring yeah. beams, like yeah, a small right. oculus yeah. and a large yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but it's a pipe dream, right? And, and as architects, we've always got this project yeah. that you would love to do. Yeah. Like, normally it's your own home if you get the chance yeah. to do that, right? But if you don't, you know, yeah, anyway, so it, it might not ever happen, but I would love it to happen yeah. one day. So, you know, you said, you know, you said, like, as architects, and I think, like, we, we, we talk about this a lot, we talk about it on the podcast a lot. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think architects are particularly good at? I mean, there's the obvious, like, so we design buildings, but as a process of thought, do you think we are? truly particularly skilled at any kind of thought or problem solving or any particular skill like that? Problem solving is what you learn. And what architecture is, is problem solving mm. after problem solving. Big issue to the smallest issue, mm. eh? Mm. But yeah, um, architects, um, they all want to, they have the save the world kind of thing, right? I, yeah, I think they do. I think most people go into architecture because they believe it'll make the world a better place. And then, you know, somewhere along the line, you kind of go, I'm not sure if everybody else... Door schedules. <laughs> Door schedules. <laughs> yeah. But, I, no, I do, I do think so. I mean, was that, yeah. was, that a, was that a part of the... I think there's an aspect decision. of megalomania, like, like being an architect, get, you, you can make a big thing that will sit somewhere for a long time, and people will see it and they might go into it and they'll use it. Like, that's a quite a megalomaniac thing. The tower, the skyscraper is the sort of ultimate, quite phallic, but, but the monomaniacal like extension of that. We get to make a big thing that sits on a, on a skyline or is on the cover of a magazine or I think I that's an that. aspect. Oh. Well, I did say it was pretty male. Yeah. It's probably my own therapy <laughs> session. Yeah. But all like we're going to die. We all die, right? But would you like to leave something behind? Hmm. Like, or have you been inspired by certain things in your life and gone, fuck, that's cool. Yeah. And, 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 and when you're inspired or you get taken away when you do the art, it's, you forget all these other things in life. Like, why do we do art? Is, is it just because we love it or because it's a form of escapism? It takes you away from thinking about certain things? I don't know, man. I think it's a lot of those latter things. I can only speak from my own experience, but those that, that time where you're making something with freedom and without much constraint, and all those things kind of melt mm. away, and you get, you know, one hour of that feeling, it's yeah. like, that'll get me through a month. Yeah. yeah. One hour. It's like this sort of concentrated joy, like, like yeah. pressed into a bale mm. that, that's really concentrated, and I can make it last me a whole month and, if I get one hour And of also that. just kind of the opportunity to kind of step off this planet, the reality yeah, yeah. thing for a bit, and just kind of go, ah, oh, that makes me very happy. Yeah. So what do you think we're bad at? What do you think the, the are there blind spots that architects have? Um, I know they don't have a good rep in society, but there's a romantic Hollywood notion of the architect too, which is really crazy. Mm. But... Um, like um, the Charles Bronson character in Death Wish was an architect. 
and up like a massive killing. <laughs> 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 I thought you said meaning death proof. No, Tarantino. he goes death proof. He goes on a massive killing rampage. He's an unusual. Oh shit! Oh, okay, that's oh, just an unusual. I can totally relate to that. And something about Mary, he pretends to be an architect to try and impress her, which I think is a real exemplar of that. Like, like. I'm going to pretend I... Or, or George Costanza in Seinfeld, <laughs> remember? Like, he wants to impress someone. What do you do? I'm an architect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, those qualities are supposed to be, you know, understanding. Yeah. Thinking. Is it that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, but I just wonder with architects, like, um, it's like, how can you relate to the layperson too? So you think you think we have a bad rep? Is that the sort of thing you mean? Well, if you meet someone sometimes and they say, what do you do? If you say you're an artist, you know, they're going to talk about different things. Mm. And say architecture, sometimes it's a dead-end conversation. They just don't... Or maybe in New Zealand, there's not a big respect for architecture like there is in other countries, or the arts, Mm. too. So, I don't know. It's a a big question. I'm understanding your your tripod of skills now, no matter, you know, depending on who you talk to. (laughs) Architect, artist, <laughs> teacher. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess we all kind of do that to some degree, right? Yeah, like, what do you say? Like, you know what I mean? It oh, depends. I've been a job interview and describe myself off the bat as a sailor. First and foremost, that's yeah. what I am. Yeah. I also do some architecture. Yeah. And I can help you. Yeah, yeah. so isn't it a cooler way to, to talk to someone about... Hi. Ah, fourth member of the podcast, Jeremy, has just joined us, which seems like a great time to wrap up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm late, team. (laughs) If you want to make an appearance and get a question in, we should do that. I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a question for you, Jeremy. As someone who has been an editor of um, magazines and as someone who translates architecture to um, the public, what do you? Why do you think architects have bad rap in society? I think fundamentally it's about uh, a miscommunication over expectations and price. So an architect will say to a client, "What do you want?" And the client will say, "I want two extra bedrooms, um, a new living area, or if it's a new house, this, 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 and this." And the architect says, "Fantastic! <laughs> What's your budget?" And the client might say something, or may not. Eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> And so then the architect comes back with this amazing vision, mm. which does not fit the budget whatsoever. Mm. And the process from then on is one of um, disappointment yeah. for everybody. Yeah. So why That's the fundamental one to me. Yeah. It, and perhaps it doesn't, it, perhaps it's good that this is so, but why do architects design buildings like that? If you borrow a bit deeper, it might be about the fact that people feel especially in their homes, a great sense of ownership of them and they worry that that ownership might be compromised by an architect. Um, I think usually when they meet an architect, um, they realise that the architect is on their side. Um, But also, I think, as a former magazine editor, we played a part in this, and that some of the most dismaying conversations I had with people who would say, I'm a huge fan of Home Magazine. What an incredible publication. How great. Uh, Yeah, we're about to do this um, new thing on a bit of land somewhere. And I've been, oh, you know, so which architect are you talking to? Oh, we're just going to use a drafty because we know exactly what we want. Have you not been? (laughs) (laughs) The whole point is that architects are good. Um, So never underestimate people's ability to miss the point, I suppose, as well. But it's not about me. (laughs) (laughs) So it was not turn up late. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you're working in the, but you're working in the space in between, which you've probably already talked about a bit. But yeah. About those connections, right? Yeah, they have been. Yeah, we have been talking about those projects. Yeah. We haven't really been talking about the architecture stuff. Um, but I know exactly where you're coming from with client expe- client expectations, trying to keep them happy and test out things. Renato always taught me to go for option A, get it out there, and then, you know, that what they want, and then after that, go for option B and C. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, that's a process thing. And whether you're going to suck it up and, and do the concept B for... Um, no extra cost. I think one of the hardest things um, when you go through your kind of apprenticeship and you start practicing is having your first option A rejected hmm. and the the rage at your client's <laughs> ignorance <laughs> and inability to understand what an amazing thing you've given them, hmm. you know, which is of course completely ass backwards and you very rapidly learn that that's not at all how it works. Hmm. But I think school and other things can kind of teach you that but realizing that you're solving a problem but it's but it's a problem that has myriad answers it's not like a maths problem that gets you to one number so my my brain worked that way and i like to think i've solved the design problem here it is it's like i don't know if i like it and it's like well you're obviously wrong (laughs) (laughs) now of course that's 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 part of i think part of the problem that's part of a problem and actually going, so don't like that, what about this? There's lots of ways we can yeah, cut exactly. this cake. There's lots of ways we can shape space around you. There's lots yeah. of ways we can do these materials this light, you know. Mm. I, I think one thing with teaching I've been finding lately is to slow the students down. They jump, want to jump to the first thing, and mm. you say, well, look at this and this and this. So it's not ever A to B. And um, showing them that it is a frustrating process, but you get used to that process because mm. you know it's probably going to happen. And underscoring that it is a process. It's not like, oh, eureka moment, the design, done. Um, invariably, you know, there's, I mean, I find increasingly if I've got a difficult problem, I'll, have, I'll approach it in several different steps. I've got to kind of do a first stab and then leave it. Mm. And then each time I come back, I bring something new to it. And often where I end up with is, is somewhere different from where I started. But that process is really um, important. Mm. There's learnings that have happened along the way and, and actually the bits that I threw out or discarded are uh, every bit as important mm. as the final result because they helped me to get there mm. and yeah. it keeps going on right yeah but I think process is everything if you think about it because where do you stop mm. well you stop because normally the house is done all, to, a, to a degree yeah, but yeah, it can yeah. always continue but like when you look look back at process it's amazing to see the decisions you've made along the way mm. and how everything comes in to make these changes and process is everything like, mm. like mm. i love it to work out how they did it or why they did it or or hearing about the failures my niece said something really cool the other day she's only 10 but she said fail first attempt in learning yeah, yeah. That's fairly wow. profound. <laughs> That's amazing. She's going yeah. Yeah. Um, and Angus Muir, what does he say? Um, LEDs, learning every day. Mm. Lighting, so. lighting designer. Is yeah. that what he did there? <laughs> Do you think there's also a gap between the perceived glamour of form making, mm. which is what architecture is to a lot of people and even to architects, and the potential mundanity of trying to work out where to put somebody's walk-in wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a fine line between both or, or, you know, both of those issues there. Yeah. Is that a bit of a thump to worth? 
Um, I guess no, no. Depends if you're doing it every day. I reckon because um, I remember Riri Thompson said to me, um, "What did he say? Something like before he passed away in the staff room, he said something about another kitchen or another bedside table." And you know, and I know Pete Bosley talks about that as well. But yeah, just the repetition of certain things that you know um, all the time. Mm. You know, they're great to do if you haven't done something in a while. Mm. But you know, if you're replicating the same standard detail, changing surfaces, you know, you become a specifier or a draftsman. Mm. And, and you know, that's the thing with architecture. We all want to feel like we're doing something new. Mm. And the repetition of certain projects sometimes after a while gets a bit, um, you know. You know. Well, it's how you keep those. It's what what's the kind of um, what's the fuel for the creative engine that means you can come to that problem, or you can come to that opportunity and hit it a different way, mm. and keep it always mixed up. Yeah, but whether it's an idea you've seen from a student, it's something you've seen in the landscape, it's a thought you've had, it's a, a sound a bird made, like yeah. whatever it kind of is that enables you to go, okay, this bedside table, now it's going to be, I'm going to come at it from this angle, yeah, or this angle, and you hope the client can see that. Because they might be expecting to see something that they saw on the block or something, you know. But um, oh, the block. Yeah. So I think <laughs> one day we'll do a block episode. <laughs> but I think it'd be great if there were more shows and like the grand designs where they yeah. they did you know show the realities of what it's like to especially with architects trying to get something through mm. council and things like that. Um, but I think stimuli and 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 that is is can come from anywhere. Like um, watching Democracy Now every morning. <laughs> wow, that's one way to. Um, <laughs> While you wow. have your coffee or before you put music on, like you know, I think um, it can come from anywhere mm. though. Like, and, and especially with doing these artworks, that, you know, having to keep up to date with politics, what's going on mm. in the world yeah. is great. Um, and those frustrations sometimes you can turn a, a negative into a positive with your work, especially. Um, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to accept it, or you're going to try to do something to talk about it. Mm. And I think the oil tank is is, is, is is that project, our dependence on oil, and how can you show that in a, in a, in a work, mm. you know? Yeah, look forward to it. One day. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice. big one. Well, look, um, thanks very much, Matt, not Malcolm. Um, <laughs> it's been awesome talking. Um, we'll post some images of some of the um, bits of work that we've spoken about today. Um, be great for people to get along on the 15th of October to Freiburg Square yes. to see the the tower you never got to build. The, the skyscraper I could never build slash ego. Um, but also I'd like to say that the Vitruvian Tunnel is going to Lower Hut for Highlight Festival in October Labour Weekend. Awesome, so, for our Lower Hut listeners. Yeah, yeah. Down that way. Awesome. Hey, well look, thanks very much, Matt. Thanks very much for joining us for the episode. Bye. <laughs>